The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Question number two. Will there be babies and children in heaven, or will we all have bodies the same? I believe that I know what the person is getting at, because there's really two questions here. Um, will there be babies and children in heaven? And if there is babies and children in heaven, will they have bodies that are the same that they currently have, or will they have a different, a different kind of body, a more mature body? Um, so what I want to do is, I think that they're probably asking the second question, but I think the first question is a really good one. So I, w- I want to answer both of those questions. The first one is, do babies and children who die go to heaven? So will they there, be there in the first place? And the question is, is more difficult, I think, than, than we initially like to think because our gut re- reaction is, of course they do, right? Everybody's gut reaction here, do babies go to heaven? Of course they do. That, that's our gut reaction. Why? Well, because God is a God of love, so he must take them to heaven. The only thing we must caution against is... a making our gut reaction determine how God would react or must react can be a dangerous thing because even our gut reaction can be wrong. Now, you're right. It's true. We have a God of love. We have a God who is righteous and he is holy and he is perfect. And we have a God who will deal righteously. And so everything he does is just and right. But we cannot force an answer simply based on what we think it should be. God has to act the way I think he should act, okay? Now, some of you are like really scared I'm going that direction with my answer. I'm, I'm actually, you're gonna, I think you're gonna be happy with the answer in the end. But I do wanna say, what I'm trying to get across is just the answer of I think that they should, so they should, is, it's not a good enough answer, okay? We should be going to the Bible and, and trying to practice good theology and figure out why we would answer that babies will, in fact, go to heaven, and so we understand from the Bible that babies are born with a sin nature that was passed down from Adam. They are in Adam. Psalm chapter 51, verse 5, David writes, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. What he's saying there is not that his mother was, was in the act of sin when he was conceived. He's saying that from his conception, he was a sinner. He had a sin nature given to us, him. And so even before we are able to sin, even before we understand the concept of sin, we are sinners. We are in Adam. And in order to be justified in Christ, we must be saved by his blood. So is there a loophole for babies, children, and those with an intellectual disability? And I believe the answer is yes. I believe they do go to heaven. And I want to give you a couple reasons. And I think the reasons hopefully will get stronger as we go. So if you're not impressed by the first one, don't worry about it. Okay. The first one is just, this is just an observation. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 29, God is describing the punishment of the Israelites for their complaining and their murmuring in the wilderness and and for their sin and for the not trusting him when the spies went in and came back with the bad report, all of that. So he's describing what their punishment is going to be. And he says, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness and all they that were numbered of you, according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. 
Okay, and he goes on to explain that, they, that those will die in the wilderness. They will not be able to enter in the promised land. And the only reason I bring that up is because I, I can guarantee you that if there were 20-year-olds that were complaining and murmuring and not trusting God, there was also 19-year-olds and 18-year-olds and 17-year-olds. And so for some reason, God placed a greater burden of responsibility on those who were 20 and upward. And, and the idea is it's those who are willing and able to fight in the army. And, and so there is more responsibility placed on those who, who are older. And so that's, that's just, like I said, the, the weakest reason of the bunch. But I just see that there. I think it's interesting. Then in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, David's son with Bathsheba, his first child, has just died. He's been fasting and praying and asking God to save him. God had already told him that the child would die, and so the child does die. And in 2 Samuel 12, 23, it says, But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Why would I continue to fast now that the child is dead? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. This is David speaking to his servant, saying, There's no reason for me to fast anymore. He's gone. He is not coming back but someday I will go to him. Now for me, as soon as I read that, I think David is saying, someday I will be with him in heaven. And I think most of us would read it that way. And I I think that's a legitimate reading. However, what a skeptic or somebody of the opposite view might say is that he could be referring to the grave and not to heaven. I I can't bring him back from the grave, so someday I'll go to the grave it does seem like he's speaking about some a relationship that he's going to have with him someday, but it's possible. It's not, it's not just a hundred percent. That's the answer you, you, you can go to. Okay. I think there are better answers. However, it does seem like pretty strong evidence that he, he believes he's going to see his baby again. Number three, I think we see the importance of rejection in this area of judgment many times in the Bible. In John chapter 12, verse 47, Jesus said, and if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So he's saying, my purpose here on earth isn't to go around judging people. However, those people that reject me will be judged. They will be judged in the last day. So there's something about judgment and rejection that go together. And there are times in the Bible where Jesus described the the situation of a sinful place like um, Sodom and Gomorrah, that the judgment on them would be less harsh than those who had more light, more ability to respond to truth and still reject it. So the Pharisees who did less sin, at least according to our perspective, would be judged more harshly than those who sin greatly but didn't have as much access to, to the gospel, access to truth. And so the judgment would be less harsh on them. And all I'm saying with that is judgment and their rejection, their level of rejection, their level of knowledge is linked in the Bible. Okay, So when we're talking about a baby and a child and somebody with an intellectual disability, we obviously say that person did not have light. They did not have the ability to respond. They did not have the ability to accept or reject. Okay, and that leads me to the final answer. 
And this is Paul's argument of witnesses in Romans. The first time I heard this argument, I was like, oh, that doesn't really make sense to me. And then I looked into it. I was like, you know what? That's actually pretty solid. So throughout the Old Testament, we see that there are two witnesses required to condemn a person for a crime. If you want to be condemned for a crime, you need two witnesses. And if you have two witnesses, and that, per- that those witnesses are enough evidence to condemn a person to death. Now in the book of Romans, Paul is systematically condemning every person who will ever read his epistle. He wants them to understand that they are all guilty, that they're all culpable, that there's not one group of people, whether you're the religious group or whether you're the Gentiles and you don't have the law, you're all guilty before God. And he does this in an interesting way. In Romans chapter 1 verse 19, he says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhood, Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Okay, so those verses, what they're teaching is that God has shown people enough light Simply in creation, when you look at the world around you, when you look at the stars, when you look at the birds, when you look at your body, when you look at the beauty of creation, there's enough there shouting that there is a God that you are without excuse. So already we have the witness of creation saying, you are going to be responsible to your creator. Then in Romans chapter 2 verse 15, He's speaking about Gentiles who don't have the law of God. And he says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So the second witness we have against us is the fact that God has given every person a conscience. Every person, doesn't matter whether you've understood the law of God your whole life or not. We all have a conscience that bears witness that there is a God. We all have a conscience that says there is good and there is evil. And when you break that, that evil, even though it's not written down for you, when you do something wrong, there is guilt and condemnation that, that you just feel in your heart. And that is telling you that there is a God who is righteous, who you'll give an account to. And so there's the second witness. And finally, in Romans chapter three, verse 19, it says, now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. So finally, and most clearly, we have the law of God that makes every person guilty. Okay, we have the word of God. And so based on these three witnesses, all of mankind is guilty before God. Now remember, in the Old Testament, you only needed two, right? And so you have conscience, you have creation, you have enough to condemn you. So When it comes to the case of a baby or somebody with intellectual disability, they do not have the witness of conscience. And they do not have the ability to understand the witness of creation. And so already, even if you were to tell them they're, I mean, even if they're the age enough where you tell them that they're a sinner, if they have no ability to understand that there's a creator and that they're they're going to be um, judged for their actions, for their sin... 
then there is not enough witnesses to condemn them based on the law that God set up in the Old Testament. Okay? I think that's the best reason that we can bank on that says children and people with a disability will be in heaven. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. Second part of the question, will babies have baby bodies in heaven? Will children look like children in heaven? What will our bodies be like in heaven? Well, it's interesting that Paul gives this answer, um, not in a really nice way at first. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Right? And I think it's a really interesting question. What are our bodies going to be like? What are, what are they going to look like? And he, he answers, thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And so he, he begins by saying, you're not, you're, and he's not trying to make fun of the people, I don't think. I think he's just trying to say, you're not thinking about this whole thing right. Um, and so he, he's trying to help them understand that they're going to have a very different body than their current body. They're going to have a glorified body. And so in verse 42, he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Verse 49, he says, and as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So Paul is making it very clear that our bodies, our glorified bodies, will be very different than our current bodies. Exactly what that means and what that looks like, we don't know. I think this is going to be one of the great surprises. But we do know it will be very different from our current bodies. There's one theory out there that says every person will have a 33-year-old body because Jesus died when he was 33. All right? Now, I, I don't know. Um, I do think that the Bible teaches that we will be able to recognize one another in heaven. We will be re- able to recognize Jesus. We will be able to know one another. Now, uh, I don't know exactly how it's going to work. I don't know if I can recognize people that I, I've never met before or if I have to, you know, in heaven, hey, what's your name? What's your story? That, that might be neat. I, these are some of the things we have to look forward to. However, we will be able to recognize one another that we already know. I know for sure there will be no more disease no more pain, no more tears, and no more sickness. And I think that age and the process of aging and what it does to the human body is a a physical reminder of the spiritual reality that we all will die. And so I think that that age is showing the process of death. And I don't think we'll have the process of death present in heaven. So I I, I don't think that you'll have like a 95-year-old person die and look exactly like they did because I think that a lot of how they looked was the process of age which is is a result of death. It is very possible that God will somehow rewind older folks to look like what they did in their prime of life. I don't know. Again, this is speculation. In Isaiah chapter 11 verse 6, we do have children that seem to be present in heaven. So Isaiah 6, 11 verse 6 says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And again in verse 8, And the suckling child shall play in the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. den. 
And so that's, that's a, a picture of what's going to be like in the new heaven and the new earth. And there we have a child. What's possible is that if a child dies before they're fully grown, it's possible that God will raise them up as a child again, and they'll go through the, the process of aging that God expected to happen in the Garden of Eden. Okay, it's a new heaven and new earth. Everything is back to paradise. And, and it's, I mean, Adam and Eve were commanded to have children. It seems like they were going to raise their children. Their children were going to grow up. But his plan wasn't that there would be death, right? And so Adam wasn't created to die like, like he did. That is unnatural. That is a, a cause of sin. And so it's possible that children will be there. Babies will grow up just like they normally would. And eventually they'll reach their whatever, their prime, and they'll be like that forever, okay? I don't know, and I feel like I'm saying I don't know way too much to even be answering the question, but hopefully, hopefully it just piques some interest in you uh, and rules out some terrible ideas.